0: Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore your puny heart can handle. (laughs) Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim.
1: Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week, I almost want to say sorry, uh... (laughs)
2: We are talking John's birthday week picks. That's right. We've gone into the mind of David Lynch, and we are talking...
1: We are talking Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet.
2: Oh, yeah. We get into it.
1: That's right, guys. I got Kim to watch Mulholland Drive.
2: And a lot of Twin Peaks to, like, prep for this episode.
1: It's only a movie, guys. If you look at it like that, it's not so bad. Sure, that movie happens to be... 18 hours long.
2: Uh, It's your birthday, so (laughs) this is the only present you're getting. Yeah. Happy birthday. Worth it. Uh, Worth it. I like you, but never again.
1: (laughs) Before we get into it though, Kim uh, First off, thank you so much oh,
2: For are so, so gracious welcome. On you my are, birthday You are so, so welcome
1: We'll get back on track with our regularly Scheduled standard Not stupid weird horror movies Next week
2: Not really though, because it's my birthday That's right, you want to tell
1: everybody we're watching next week?
2: Oh, we're going deep into the Addams Family archives <laughs> And watching the Addams Family And the Addams Family values Yeah,
1: so uh, if this week's episode isn't necessarily your bag. I apologize. Stick with us. We'll it be gets back. fun. Yeah. It gets fun again. It is a delight to listen to Kim talk about Mulholland.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to to figure it out, I'm literally that that GIF of that guy trying to put pins in the wall from um. Always sunny, Philadelphia. Always sunny. You're like Charlie yeah. Day. Like it's all connected, guys. <laughs> so like, I got it. Before we get too far into it, though, we will be headed to Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, Quebec later this month. Yeah, it's A bunch a, this month. Yeah,
1: it's a long-ass festival that stretches six weeks, I think.
2: Yeah, we're gonna catch the premiere of Nightmare Cinema from every horror director ever.
1: That's right. If you like Masters of Horror, this is Mick Garris's follow-up to that. I'm really excited for it. Uh, and then we are back the following weekend.
2: Uh, and we might be back again because I would like to see the premiere of Mandy, right? so we might be driving up a third time. Yeah, so we <laughs> might
1: be in Montreal a lot. If you are in the Montreal area. If or you're if,
2: coming for the festival, yeah. hit us up on social media. Send us a private message on Facebook or Instagram. Let's
1: have poutine together
2: and beer and beer. <laughs> yeah.
1: They got a lot of good beer there as well. Uh, the, when this episode drops. The new Purge movie, the first Purge, will have finally come to theaters. As of this recording, we haven't seen it, obviously. We are in has, the past. We are in the past. <laughs> uh, but by the time you're hearing this, we will have listened to it, guaranteed. And we have a, will will have this weekend a Patreon-exclusive drive home from the drive-in with our immediate thoughts having left the theater.
2: Yeah, and the trailer for the Purge series came up this week, and there's a whole bunch of Purge happenings. That series yeah. premieres in September, and I think it's gonna pick up right after the movie I'm not sure I haven't seen the movie so I can't really say that yeah um, so it's gonna be really interesting to see how the movie ends and if it's really open-ended or what I've always really enjoyed the Purge franchise I don't necessarily think of them as horror as much as um, say their marketing leads you to believe they're very more uh, thriller-y adventure movies almost it's a
1: political thriller at this point
2: yeah but I'm always in it for the masks and yeah. I'm in it for the throwaway scenes where you see what all the other twisted fucks are up to in the alleyways. Yeah,
1: it's a country of psychopaths at that point. I'm it's very so great. ready.
2: I'm very ready. The first Purge isn't going to be as spectacle-y because it's, it hasn't had that opportunity to evolve yet into what it's become in the later films, the earlier films. You but know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but it's,
1: it's going to be a lot of fun to watch people hesitantly... Kill their neighbors.
2: People being hesitant, but participating in the first purge. Yeah. And Blumhouse is getting really deep into political and social issues. And using the purge as that platform, I think will be a really interesting tie-in, especially with like the political climate. The series is definitely going to tap into that. So
1: yeah, I don't remember if they've, I'm sure they have put a timestamp on it when the movie takes place. But I'm also not a hundred percent positive that that's true. They could just as easily this movie could come out and say 2021, and you'd be like,
2: yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I always just assumed that the Purge existed in an alternate present day.
1: Yeah, it's it's the Purge in has the been since the
2: 80s, but in that version, oh, okay, of the 80s, I see you know what you I mean? Saying.
1: Yeah. Also, I want to give a shout-out to our most recent Patreon supporters, Mickey, Jessica, and Jerry, or as you know them, the Twisted Trio. They're out there stringing people up, taking their intestines out, setting fire to your entire building.
2: But only for 24 hours. Yeah, no,
1: after that, they go back to, like, normal, pleasant (laughs) everyday Then they're investment bankers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Investment bankers. Jerry himself works at a fruit stand. No, is that right?
2: (laughs) I loved how you said fruit. (laughs) <laughs> like F R O O T. I meant to say like
1: Froyo or whatever that frozen yogurt place is, Minchis. Oh. Uh and you know, like that would infuriate me for sure. As we mentioned, Mickey. Can you imagine Jessica,
2: murdering somebody over fro like frozen yogurt? Like just jamming them under the frogurt.
1: I gotta tell you right now, I would assume every retail employee in the purge universe has a nice little black book tucked just under the <laughs> register. There is nobody that's gonna go mad and kill everybody. I'm sorry, like a I'm retail just. Employee.
2: I'm just thinking of a frozen yogurt horror movie. I want to see a horror movie set in a frozen yogurt shop so bad right now.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be so per. Bur- that'd be great. Like you're getting vanilla, and all of a sudden it starts to get a little pink, and then it's just blood. Oh rash.
2: my god! Put some raisins on it. <laughs>
1: You know, as an investment banker, of course, Mickey in his everyday life has to deal with a lot of terrible people that are just putting funneling money illegally. And, you know, he's not really a bad guy in this scenario so much as he's just trying to, like, right the wrongs of the white collar criminals. Uh, Jessica, though, I'd be scared of Jessica. You know, uh, she looks like a nice lady as a dog walker. And, and, you know... (laughs) But she's got a scope on the whole neighborhood. She's watching every terrible, disgusting thing people have done. You know what she hates the most? People who walk and text. And she...
2: Walk and text? Yeah, like you're... you're...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that the first purge is all about petty crime.
2: (laughs) Those those walk and texters. But you
1: better watch your back because they're coming for you. Thank you, Mickey, Jessica, and Jerry for supporting our program, for putting up with my nonsense, and just remember to keep me on the list of, like, I know you got a list of two...
2: Can we please be on your people not to purge Yeah, this? like, I just, like... Just John and Kim. I don't I, care who else is on there saying I don't
1: remember if it was, like, in a in a TV show or if I saw somebody say it once, but it was just t- a really intimidating thing to say, like, I keep two lists in a little black book and you just put your name on the top of one of them. I want to be on that other list. I want to be on the list of people that if you see, you let me just walk.
2: What back. if it's people to maim now and people to maim later?
1: I'll take the later for now, and I'll <laughs> the fi- later for
2: now. Yeah, and I'll
1: figure it Purge out. Urg
2: too. <laughs> <laughs> Purge one, purge two. <laughs> Thank you guys again for supporting the show. If you would like to support Nightmare on Film Street for as little as a dollar an episode and get tons of cool perks like uh, John calling you a froyo operator, you can head to. <laughs> pa- doesn't sound like a compliment, <laughs> but yeah, you can head to patreon.com/slash Nightmare on Film Street.
1: Yeah, and right now we are running our fan appreciation summer. Every new pledge that we get, including Mickey, Jesse, Jerry, and everybody else that donates to Nightmare on Film Street will get a super cool enamel pin from the Cinema Cemetery collection,
2: regardless of your pledge level. Yeah, so all new patrons and existing patrons who up their pledge while quantities last, we're going to send you out a pin courtesy of John and I, but we're getting low on stock. So if you're going to do it, you got to do it soon because we are, uh, we're updating the merch store. We're going to have some cool new things in store and... You guys are going to score.
1: Regardless, there is hours of bonus content available to you there at Patreon. Um, but rather than keep rambling on about that, let's, let's talk about some movies that make no sense.
2: I think they make sense to David Lynch.
1: Yeah, David Lynch and David Lynch alone.
2: That is true.
1: There's never been a definitive answer to what any of this means. Uh, so let's dive in. Let's talk about Mulholland Drive.
2: I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place.
3: This one comes highly recommended. Dream place?
2: What are you doing?
3: Get out of the car. Ah!
0: Yes. The girl is still missing.
2: What's wrong?
0: I just don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. We'll drive.
2: Come on, it'll be just like in the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else.
3: This is all an illusion.
1: Currently sitting at an eight out of ten on IMDb, eighty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 4.2 on Letterboxd.
2: A 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think 4.2, though, might be the highest Letterboxd rating we've been doing, we've done, for any movie on this podcast. Okay. Also, um... David Lynch won Best Director at Cannes Film Festival when this movie premiered, and he was nominated for Best Director at the 2002 Academy Awards.
2: He was nominated for Best Director for this?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Are (laughs) are you surprised? courtyard
2: scene! (laughs) Oh, okay. So, I want to go into this with an open mind. Sure. And a... uh, I just want to say that, like, if (laughs) if you're not a David Lynch person, if you skip these movies and you didn't watch them... I would say give them a chance, try to watch the movie, because going into the movie with any of the themes and ideas I think that we're going to talk about, whether or not they're right, will take away from the experience. I think the whole part of the David Lynch experience is your what-the-fuck face for 90 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, the whole first three quarters of the movie, you're supposed to be like, but what is happening? Like, is everyone asleep right now?
1: I think that's 100% intentional. I don't think there's a single movie David Lynch has done other than maybe like Dune where you're not supposed to figure it out yourself. Like This is why he never talks about his movies or about Twin Peaks or about anything that he does. Because it's all about what you take away from it.
2: Yeah, and I I think the whole point of the movie is the experience of you thinking you're being taken for a ride a bit and seeing something that's maybe just a bunch of imagery that doesn't mean anything at all. And then it kind of does. So, I mean, I do really want to talk about that, but I just wanted to say that if you were skipping it and then, or you wanted to listen to us and then see the movie, I would see the movie first so that you have that same, like, what the fuck experience that I had. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) And form your own opinion. Um... And then just look at ours as a different one. Like, don't don't assume that we know anything about it. No,
2: I'm going to say we're probably not right at all. Um, I think you're going to be pretty proud. I may have cracked the film. Okay. I figured it out. Good. I am a David Lynch accredited scientist.
1: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really... Lay it on me.
2: No, not yet. Not yet. We're going to go through this. We're going to go through Oh, the you want to go through the plot? Okay. Oh, we're <laughs> going to try. Because even though this movie is really disjointed... One thing that David Lynch is really good at is nightmare imagery. And that's the only way you can describe it. It's very, very scary. Like you're in a dream and you can't wake up. Yeah. Every single, that's every scare he's ever done is a nightmare you can't wake up from.
1: But but it's not even like scenes from The Shining where you are very clearly in a nightmare. It's just that feeling of being in a dream where something's not right. And you feel that. Like it's it's dread without absolute terror. Yeah, it's just unease.
2: And I don't know if there's ever been a director that's captured the atmosphere of being scared before. Mm-hmm. Like the the thickness of air when you're scared Is, Oh yeah, does like, that you make you're any sense? So
1: slow. Yeah, it's like really it's just... like
2: if fear was a big bowl of soup. And the characters are right <laughs> in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, if you're not uh, a David Lynch person, or...
2: I'm not a David Lynch person. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> At and,
1: least I didn't think I was. And to be honest, I wish should probably start by saying, I don't think these movies are horror movies. They are very scary in some senses, which is what we're talking about. But I, I think David Lynch, um, there are moments in everything that he's done that is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Like, Twin Peaks is not... Horror. But Jesus Christ, are there moments in that show that are just burned into my mind because they're horrifying? And I think Mulholland Drive probably contains one of the scariest things that he's ever, ever done.
2: Uh, are you talking about the diner scene? I
1: am talking about the diner scene. Alright, let's
2: talk about the diner scene.
3: It's kind of embarrassing. Go ahead. I had a dream about this place. Oh, boy. You see what I mean? (laughs) Okay. So you had a dream about this place. Tell me. Well... It's the second one I've had. But they're both the same. They start out that I'm in here, but... It's not day or night, it's kind of half night, you know? But it looks just like this, (laughs) except for the light. And I'm scared like I can't tell you. Of all people, you're standing right over there. By that counter. You're in both dreams. And you're scared. I get even more frightened when I see how afraid you are, and... Then I realize what it is. (laughs) There's a man... in back of this place. He's the one who's doing it. I can see him through the wall. I can see his face. I hope that I never see that face ever outside of a dream.
2: It's a really scary dream that he recounts. And the guy's like, oh, well, why are we here? And he wants to confront the dream, Mm -hmm. but he's really anxious about it. So the guy's like, okay, let's just go. And he goes to pay the check, and he's standing at the counter, and you just get this wave of deja vu from the other guy that, oh, fuck, that's the dream. So they leave the diner. They walk past a telephone booth And we look at the telephone booth And I guess the telephone booth is really familiar just oh,
1: like the atmospheric sound in this whole scene We look past
2: some shrubs We go down some steps We're in the back alley with a dumpster And there is a brick alley And we're approaching it And we're approaching it Ugh. And then on like a fucking skateboard or something Like <laughs> wheeled smoothly as shit This like terrifying homeless person just like, thing Yeah like, just like
1: covered in grease or mud or just darkness
2: just appears but the tension of that scene is thick like soup <laughs> yeah
1: and then he just like, like you do in a nightmare like the sound sucks out of the scene and he screams and he faints and there's no sound that is the fucking worst right in a nightmare where you scream and no sound is coming out but like you know your mouth is open and you could feel your lungs trying to scream but nobody can hear you and nobody can come for help and you are just locked in this moment Fuck! I love this movie so
2: much. Yeah, but so that uh. scene—if you—if you only pause to watch that YouTube clip, it has, its not the movie. No, the you,
1: movie... You, you can watch that scene on YouTube right now if you want, but I—I I, I think it, it plays better to watch in the movie.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, if that wasn't in the movie, would anything be missing? And I don't think. See, and I felt the same way about what was it that. Uh, Lost Highway, the one with that really scary phone call. I have
1: I have a hard time trying to figure out which one scares me more. Like, that, that scene <laughs> Oh, that, Lost Highway. Oh, the one that
2: you showed me. Yeah, the Lost Highway one with the, it's me, I'm in your house. That is the scariest yeah, thing here, I've ever seen. Yeah, call me. Yeah, oh, it's uh, doesn't so make brilliant. any sense to me, and it doesn't make any sense to the film. This one, it does kind of, I kind of get it, but I think it was just a really cool, scary idea he had. He's like, we're putting it in this one.
1: So there's something I should probably tell you before we get too far into this, which might explain some of the just disjointed scenes. Okay. This was originally intended as a 90 minute pilot for a TV show. And then when it was not picked up, NBC hated it. They filmed the end half of the movie and he did a lot of editing to, to put it together as a film. And ultimately is happier for it. That
2: makes sense. Remember when I was like, this is like Game of Thrones. There's (laughs) too many storylines.
1: Well, yeah, we also have Robert Forrester show up as a detective at the car crash at the beginning. He looks out over Los Angeles, and then we never come back to him.
2: Yeah huh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, so he's laying He was he's definitely setting up work. a
2: bunch of d- different little yeah, arcs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That makes
2: so much sense. Because, like, why aren't we following the dragon story? The thriller.
1: <laughs> yeah, I... Oh, man, I would have loved to have seen this as just, like, the new Twin Peaks, like, David Lynch's new series, like, set in L.A.
2: Mulholland Drive is a great title for a TV series.
1: And I, I love that we have a car crash at the beginning of Mulholland Drive, and then we walk down the hill onto Sunset Boulevard. Like, something about all of that just seems like we're walking from reality into a dream or vice versa Mm. and i think that is that is a large part of this movie
2: let's get into the plot of it
1: sure we see a girl we're gonna call her rita driving through the windy roads around mulholland drive she narrowly avoids an assassination attempt from her limo driver when some kids that are drag racing on the on the streets smash into their limo she kind of just stumbles out of the accident and wanders down the hill.
2: Yeah, and then she sneaks into an apartment, and it happens to be the apartment of an older actress who's gone on a film, and her niece will be staying with her. So her niece arrives uh, via airplane, and she meets this kind, terrifying old couple, uh, <laughs> which I don't know if it means anything. Um, they're kind of nice, and then they're terrifying uh <laughs> yeah
1: they're super nice and cute and then we cut to them like moments later just in a car driving down the highway with
2: the creepiest ass smiles on their faces it's like
1: they're they knowing smiles too right like they're on to something behind the curtain very lynchy yeah
2: so betty gets to the apartment she's let in by the manager who has far too large a role in this movie but i, I will get back to that because i think it's important um Ooh. Betty thinks Rita is a friend of her aunt's. Mm -hmm. She finds out she's not. That's when Rita reveals that she has complete amnesia from the accident and she doesn't remember anything, even her own name.
1: In fact, they go through her purse to try and figure out, you know, what her name is. Like, surely your name will be in your purse. And inside is just...
2: Wads of cash.
1: Yeah, like $100,000 and nothing else.
2: Except this strange blue key.
1: Oh, that's right. How did I forget about the blue <laughs> key? Like an impossible key that would open nothing.
2: Uh, and Betty is a wannabe actress, so she's got this like hunger and vibrance for life. So she's like ready to go on this mystery. She is Nancy drawing it up. She's like, let's go. Uh, we'll call the police. We'll see if there was an accident.
1: And yeah, the, the rest of the movie is essentially her auditioning for roles, trying to make it in, in L.A. and also help Rita solve the mystery of who she is. And we go to some very strange places.
2: Yeah, in true David Lynch fashion, we discover some scary stuff. So every once in a while, Rita kind of recalls something. She recalls the name Denise.
1: Yeah, Denise. We, we go. So we go to a diner and we see that the waitress is wearing a name tag. Uh, says Diane. She seems. She seems to think that that might be her name. I don't remember her last name, but like they, they they look up the full name in the phone book and and go to an apartment hoping to find clues. But inside, they just find a dead woman.
2: And it's a really good terrifying decomposing body that they have fashioned
1: yeah like they have to break in and the place is not really in great shape but
2: uh... the, the thing in that scene though is like you can't you can't even argue with David Lynch logic because it just is yeah. you're like you see a big stink or you smell <laughs> you a big, see a big stink. <laughs> you smell a big stink and you're like, let's continue breaking in and continue leaving your DNA in this place that you you shouldn't be in. Like, oh, yeah. so not only are you committing a felony, but now you're going to be an accessory to murder.
1: Yeah, and who knows? Maybe this is her apartment. Maybe that's somebody that she's killed. We don't know.
2: Yeah, and then Naomi Watts er, be- Betty Betty sleeps with her. Like this woman is bonkers.
1: Maybe that's why she's been helping her out all along, though. Maybe she's just, like, in love with her from the moment she sees her. Uh,
2: they just had, like, a hardy boy chemistry the entire time. When they slept together, it was just like, I don't know. I guess whatever.
1: <laughs> so after that night, Rita wakes her up in, like, 2, 3 in the morning and drags her out to a club where we watch this, this really crazy performance. Uh, it, it deals with illusions and how what you're seeing isn't what's actually happening. Uh, we see that initially with a trumpeter who's playing, and he's just going crazy, and then he he pulls the trumpet away from his mouth, but the sound keeps continuing because it's a recording. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion.
0: In Le Pas de orchestra, it is
1: an illusion. And the same thing happens with this singer. It is, oh, it's such a great fucking performance. Um, it's, like, really soulful and emotional, and it's, like, really... Affecting them, but then she sort of falls down in the middle of her performance, and again, you know, the the song keeps going on. Well, she's her.
2: like dead almost on the ground, yeah. and they drag her off stage, but her singing is still happening. And
1: all the while, in the background, is this this woman with a gigantic updo that like of blue hair. I don't think she says anything in that scene, right? No, no but like the big takeaway from this this whole performance is silencio which Rita was saying in her sleep. Uh, So it's like she had dreamt of it and she had this calling and she had to drag them both out to go see this performance.
2: It's funny that we were able to summarize this in like five minutes because this is three quarters of the movie. Well, what
1: we've we've also done is completely avoided another storyline.
2: Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, That we need
1: to come back to in order to talk about the end of the movie. But after that performance, Naomi Watts looks in her purse and she finds a blue box. Uh, that looks
2: like it might match that strange key that rita had yeah and
1: so when we go back home uh, and rita pulls out the key before she can put it in the box she realizes that betty's disappeared she doesn't know where betty is and she can't find her anywhere but rather than, I guess, looking for this person that you, you I guess you've fallen in love with, like your only connection to the real world, you say, fuck it. And you just turn the key. She opens the box. There's nothing inside. But when she drops it, the camera falls in and we move into another section of the movie.
2: Yeah. Intercut with this main story of this kind of like thriller, who is Rita? There is this Hollywood director who's trying to recast the star of his new film and There's a really long espresso scene. You don't love that espresso scene? I hate that scene. I fucking love that scene. I hate that scene.
3: (laughs) Oh,
1: I love David Lynch. He's so crazy. It's the weirdest shit.
2: We could watch this at 1.5 the speed, and we would not lose a thing.
1: This is the difference between you and me. We're watching Twin Peaks. There's a guy who's, like, brooming the floor for two and a half minutes, and I I don't know why. Like, if it was any other movie or TV show, I would find it so frustrating, but...
2: Oh, you would find it frustrating. would but he's
1: i don't know what it is his style is so hypnotic like you just get pulled into it
2: i feel like it's just an exercise in patience it's just like it's gonna mean something you just gotta hold out it's gonna have a point it's gonna we're going somewhere we are going we are on the road
1: kim it's not about the destination it's a really slow speed limit but we are on
2: the road
1: but Justin Thoreau is playing this director who's being pressured by mobsters to cast a lead. He doesn't necessarily want this girl. In fact, he's doing everything in his power to to have his own final say on who to who to cast. But uh in no uncertain terms, they threaten his life uh if he doesn't cast this girl, Camila, he will be killed. Um there is a great moment where he meets somebody who's very intimidating, a, a cowboy type at the top of the hills and he says that tomorrow when you're in casting, You will audition lots of girls, as many as you want. But when Camila comes, you will say, this is the girl. And then he walks away.
2: It's so weird. I like it, though.
1: It's so great. I
2: really like it. Oh, it's so incredible.
1: (sighs) There's something I don't know if you noticed in this scene where uh, when he comes to meet him, there's a light bulb that just sort of starts to flutter and then turn on when they're having the meeting. And when he walks away, it flutters and turns off. Hmm. I don't quite get it yet? Oh my god. But there is so much in David Lynch's work regarding electricity. I don't I don't 100% know why, but Jesus Christ isn't there, and I think it's this pure expression of evil. I don't... I'm not sure. I'm gonna crack the code one day, though. So,
2: at the audition, he sees some different performances from this obvious lead. Mm-hmm. The girl in the photo, who... I'm just gonna say they want him to cast... They is good. Comes on, she sings, she's not as as good as the first girl. I have to say yeah. she looks off camera a bunch, but Justin Throw's character, the director, is very taken by Betty, who has just completed an audition somewhere else in the building, and a casting agent has brought her to the set mm-hmm. and he definitely sees her mm-hmm. as his lead character,
1: oh, absolutely
2: he like he can't stop looking at her. But when she comes on, he says, that's...
1: This is the girl. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, I really like that scene. I think it's that great. really helped me kind of understand the movie, I guess. I do want to talk about they a little bit. These, sure. These, like, omnipotent puppet masters pulling the strings. And I do want to say that that Twin Peaks scene, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why it's there other than that... It's Twin Peaksy. Uh, we cut to, what is it, the Black Lodge? It's not,
3: it's not actually. It
2: literally is though. It's a red curtained room and they put carpet down. I bet you that there's stripy tile underneath that carpet. And it's got the same guy, the, um... I,
1: unfortunately, I don't remember the actor's name, but yeah, he's... The little
2: person who's in yeah, Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, and he's he's also in, like, Carnival and whatnot. He, he's, he speaks backwards to Kyle MacLachlan.
2: Well, and he just, he calls people randomly in this movie and gives them, like, ominous messages that don't mean anything. Yeah, it
1: seems like he is the boss. People talk to him through a plexiglass window. Like, he talks on the phone, but he really doesn't say much. It's like he's pulling the strings for the mobsters who are intimidating Justin Theroux to hire this woman to be in the movie for purposes that we do not understand.
2: Yeah, so here's what I think the movie's about.
1: Okay, because we're, we're for the most part, caught up to when we open that blue box.
2: You let me know what you think about what I think about this movie and if I am right. Now, I'm going normally... to tell you right
1: now, there is no right or wrong, so <laughs> tell me what you saw in this movie. I
2: don't normally watch movies like this because this is so normally, like, not my bag. I want my movie, yeah. not to tell me what I'm thinking, but, like... I don't watch a movie because I want to go on this mind adventure. I want to watch a movie because I want to go on a visual adventure.
1: (laughs) Oh, believe me, this is an adventure beyond sight and sound. Oh,
2: God. So what I think is that when they go to that illusion performance, that's kind of the whole thesis of the movie. Okay. Is that everything is Mm. pre-recorded. But sometimes the performer doesn't match the recording. So I think... The very beginning, when Rita survives the car crash, I think she wasn't supposed to. Okay. Because she's now running, like, old track Rita is running on a new track. So I think that she's fucking up the recording that we're watching. So we're supposed to be watching Betty Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. And I think Betty was supposed to get that part. But I think the they guys, the people that are controlling everything secretly... I originally thought that they were trying to get things back on track, but I think they might be doing... Oh, you're like,
1: they're the architects of, like, a higher... Kind of like the the White Lodge and Black Lodge and the firemen.
2: I think maybe they might be doing the opposite. I think they might be protecting the deviation. Okay. Because if Betty got that role or whatever, I think that's how it was supposed to go. But if she doesn't, then she continues on this mystery journey with this person she's not supposed to be interacting with. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. What about the old couple though? Don't you think they are kind of agents of that? I'm gonna start. I'm just gonna start saying Black Lodge. I got no other term for it. <laughs> I hope you guys have watched Twin Peaks. If not, you probably at least get the reference of a red room. Just like keep that in mind when I say Black Lodge. Do you think they're all agents of that like ethereal world?
2: I don't know. I think there's just like an awareness. I don't know. It's interesting that they're using Hollywood, mm-hmm. and that's uh, why I wanted to talk about the manager and the older lady who shows up. Okay. Because Hollywood is almost already on that loop that he's tapping into yes. of like recordings and repeat. Like it's interesting that he cast aging actresses in all of the older roles because mm-hmm. it's almost like
1: These are the new incarnations of those older actresses.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And how so, Tom
1: Hanks is essentially James Stewart and archetypes that are replaced by new archetypes.
2: Yeah, and everything is kind of on a loop there. Hollywood is eternal and it's yes. gonna keep rounding back. But it's almost like the old has to make way for the new. There's that scene where one of the women, she comes and she's like banging. She's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Because I feel like as you're in the loop more, you you get a sense of a, awareness of it. That's why I think the old people at the beginning kind of knew it was happening. And they're like, everything is going well. Like she's supposed to come and this is her time to, to come to Hollywood.
1: I like, I like where you're taking this. I think this is great.
2: So yeah, that's uh, that's basically what I think is that everything is a, as a recording, but humans still have a sense of humanity, even if they're running on a track and that they can fall off it. But I guess there's this like greater power, which are these really ominous people in the film who are either trying to reset it or kind of fueling the fire of humanity, like trying to get, I don't know, because originally I thought they were trying to get Justin Theroux to, to, to cast this woman to get things back on track. But mm-hmm. the fact that that I feel Betty was supposed to get that part. I don't know.
1: The the architects of the the behind-the-scenes inner workings of that universe is something that always throws me off with David Lynch.
2: At first, I thought, for the first half of the movie, I thought they were aliens. Like, I didn't think (laughs) they were these big architects. But I didn't know that there was, like, this, um, you-aren't-who-you-are bit. Once she opens the blue box, we go on this alternate timeline, I guess, where everybody we knew is somebody else now. And then the movie gets bonkers, and that's kind of when you start to understand, like, oh, that wasn't literal? Kind of um,
1: I don't know that it ever was, so uh,
2: after but we they opened... were fucking ominous, and I was just like, yep they're yeah. they're aliens in human bodies, that's what we're watching. they're <laughs> just so fucking weird, like that cowboy is not a real cowboy,
1: oh no, I think honestly he might be deaf, but after that blue box is opened, yes we we cut back to that apartment that Betty and Rita had broken into now this woman who's dead is waking up, and it's. It's Betty, but she's no longer Betty. Her name is Diane.
2: Yeah. So Naomi Watts is now Diane. Yes. And her hair is slightly different. Her teeth are slightly worse.
1: She is a completely different person. There is a neighbor who was complaining that the girl over there, who she hasn't seen in a few days, still has some of her stuff. She wakes up because somebody's knocking on the door. It's that girl in that other apartment who wants her her
2: stuff back.
1: Something to point out in that scene while she's getting her box of things. She's also getting an ashtray off the table. There's a blue key on the table. We'll get back to that, but not a, not a weird blue key like just the one that opened the box, just key. a regular old <laughs> blue key. Uh, and then while she's making coffee, there are some brilliant fucking shots in this whole goddamn sequence, but like while she's making coffee and bringing it back to the table, we switch the coffee to bourbon and now Rita is there and she's naked and they're, they're kind of breaking up and we, really start to see that they are both completely different people now. Like, Rita is now Camila, and she is the actress that's in the movie. She is actually with Justin Thoreau. They're basically a couple, even mm-hmm. though they haven't really said it. There's a great fucking scene where they're at dinner, and they're like, oh, we've got news for everybody. And you, you think they're about to say, like, we're an item or we're engaged, and instead they just keep laughing, and they never actually say what their news is.
2: Well, the whole point is to, like, get under... Oh, yeah. Um, Naomi's... Naomi Watts' skin.
1: There's a fucking... Another, like, mindfuck of a moment in that sequence is that the other girl, Camila, who originally, in the first half of the movie, this is that actress who this is this girl that was auditioning for Justin Thoreau, comes over and kisses Rita in front of Betty slash Diane... And then they, they stare at her, and it's just cutting her deeply. Oh, the, the, that actress really throws a wrench in anything that I think about this fucking movie. Yeah,
2: so basically, Camila in this has broken up with Diane, who's Naomi Watts, and she's kind of at the top of her life. She's at the top of her career. She's dating the director. She's having a great time, a grand old time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naomi Watts's Diane can't stand it, hires the hitman from the beginning of the movie to kill her.
1: So, oh, there's. This is this is where it also gets a little strange, too.
2: Oh, it also gets a little strange. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: well, before that, at the dinner sequence, uh, Rita slash Camila calls her and, and gets her a car. They're going to bring her up to this party. We're in a limo. We're going up Mulholland Drive. At some point, we stop. The window comes down, and the limo driver turns around to talk to her. Like, it's, it's mirroring the beginning of the movie, and maybe we think that she's going to be killed. But instead, the door opens, and Rita is there. She comes out from the woods. Rita
2: Slash yeah, I'm
1: pretty sure they call her Camilla in the second half, and then they they walk up to Justin Thoreau's house. So where they're where they're having that dinner party, and Coco is there, the building manager, but now she's no longer the building manager; she's Justin Thoreau's mother. Um, oh boy, it's crazy. So when when they're at the diner, this is the thing that I was saying is really strange. We see the guy from the beginning who has that nightmare with the homeless person um, that's, like, super terrifying. He's standing at the register, and he's looking over at her, and he's smiling. And when the waitress comes to see her this time, her name tag doesn't say Diane anymore. It says Betty. Fucking weird. (laughs) So,
2: essentially, Hollywood is scrambled eggs. (laughs) You can
1: say that. (laughs) A lot of people talk about his movies, like Lost Highway and this, and Twin Peaks of being a Mobius strip where it's one continuous loop, it's like a figure eight, you know that? Where you, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like, it's it's one continuous line, but you travel on both sides of the line. Mm. Um, it's it's kind of brilliant. I don't know that I like looking at his movies like that, especially with things like Lost Highway, because I think Lost Highway kind of has a definitive beginning and end, and the loop around point at the end of that movie is, is very different from the beginning, and it, I think what it deals more with is how people are more than one person. Like, the duality of a person, how you can be neither good or bad, and how you're constantly changing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but my question for you, mm-hmm. do you think that Rita and Betty are two different people? Yes. You really do?
2: Um, I think this is David Lynch's Romeo and Juliet. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I think that um they are ill-fated lovers. Okay. And... Even if nothing is what it is, and it's just a story about two people who are always torn apart, maybe that's why in this one path where they hadn't actually met and they didn't actually know each other, it ended up the same way because that's how it's always supposed to be. Even if they break the mold and find each other organically, they themselves make their own track. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. That's really hard to explain. That's okay.
1: I definitely don't have answers. Um, I, I have...
2: What do you think it's about, John? <laughs> I have
1: lots of questions, and I'm just going to continue to ask you them. No, what uh,
2: if, it's, this is your week. What, are you, what do you what think this movie is about? What
1: if the first half of the movie is just a dream? What if all of the stuff after we open the blue box is the reality? And in her dream, she wishes that she was just Betty and that she could start all over again. And she was a fresh-faced girl coming to L.A. And she was meeting Rita and they were having this relationship and everything was good. But instead, she has this shit life where she's Diane and things have just gone fucking downward. And the girl that she loved is she can no longer have because she's with somebody else. And like, what if everything in the beginning is actually just a dream?
2: Oh, man.
1: And I'm telling I don't you, think David I don't... Lynch
2: ever had to do a drug in his life. no, he just exists on a different plane of existence
1: uh, so uh, i should I should say that okay. when this movie was released on DVD, David Lynch put out a series of clues for you to crack the code. Do you want to hear what those clues are?
0: Yes, okay.
2: I'm so ready. <laughs>
1: One, pay particular attention to the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits.
2: Okay.
1: Yep. Two. Uh, Wish you had
2: told me these before I was watching it. <laughs> and
1: notice appear. We can watch it again. No. Uh, two, notice appearances of the red lampshade. What? Three, can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for?
2: No, what is the title of the film?
1: Um, shit. I know this. The Sylvia North story. The the clue here is, uh, can you hear the name of the movie, and is it mentioned again? Four, uh, an accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident.
2: Is it on Mulholland Drive? (laughs) Woo!
1: Five, who gives a key and why? We should probably say that at some point the hitman that she's hired to kill Rita, Camila, gives her a blue key and says, you'll find this where I said I'd leave it after it's done. Later in the movie, she finds it on her coffee table. So we know that he's killed Rita, I Mm -hmm. guess, right? Assumed. This drives her crazy, and she runs back into her bed after being terrorized by these tiny little monsters. Oh
2: my god, I forgot there were tiny people.
1: (laughs) And she shoots herself in the bed, just like the dead body we found earlier when Betty and Rita are investigating the apartment. That is a great goddamn moment in that movie that's that whole shot is so fucking weird when she shoots herself and then the smoke just like fills the room oh and yeah that looks really walls.
2: good It's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs>
1: yeah um it's kind of like a dream mm, I keep saying that I got nothing else
2: <laughs> yeah I think that just solidifies that they're on this loop though that she's always gonna end up dead in that bed mm-hmm, except mm-hmm. for that one time that she didn't but there, people got involved, who I don't think normally get involved in the story. Like, once they're near the end of the movie, when they're at that party at the director's house, um, the guy in the cowboy hat walks through, but he doesn't disturb the scene, because he doesn't need to. Everything's on track. Betty's gonna go, she's gonna kill Rita slash Camilla, <laughs> she's gonna kill herself, and then it's gonna start again, how it's supposed to start. But I think on the track that they were on, if they hadn't have gotten that blue box, they would have lived happily ever after, maybe? Oh,
1: I'm so glad you said that. I do want to talk about that blue box. Okay, so uh, just the final clues real quick. Number six, notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. Number seven, what is felt, realized, and gathered at Club Silencio? Eight, did talent alone help Camilla? Uh, Nine, note the occurrences surrounding the man behind the Winkies. That's the... Crazy person that we were talking about, the super scary guy. Ten. Where is Aunt Ruth?
2: Those are terrible clues. That's just making this movie more confusing.
1: Well, from what I remember, uh, Aunt Ruth went up to Canada to film, and I do believe that Betty is coming back from Ontario, Canada.
2: Oh, is Um, she Aunt Betty? Maybe. I don't
1: fucking know. I really don't know.
2: Maybe she is Aunt Betty.
1: I have no goddamn idea. Uh But in terms of, like, that weird guy at the Winkies, at the end of the movie, we see him with the blue box, and he has it inside a little trash bag, Um, which makes you wonder if he is some sort of weird dream shaman. Like, he is the gatekeeper of all this stuff. Maybe he's the ferryman that travels people from one world to the other. I have no goddamn idea. But I love that blue box, because is that blue box simply the truth. And that using the key and opening the box, Rita now has unlocked her amnesia. Maybe she remembers who she was and she no, no longer wants or needs Betty. Maybe she remembers that she's Camilla and she can go on to be Camilla again. Which is why they kiss in the diner and they look at Betty. It's almost like she's looking at, at Rita and seeing a life that she used to have and doesn't have anymore. And that girl coming over and kissing her is that memory.
2: Um, fuck. <laughs> these are all plausible.
1: That's the fucking problem. It all it,
2: it all adds up. That and no, that and none me. of it is right. I <laughs> liked my radio theory, I liked my Romeo and Juliet theory, and now all these dream things that you're saying, and all these like this is the only reality and none of it's reality. Well, th- you're totally possibly right. Well, and so are
3: you though. That's th- the but best that fucking,
2: fucking part. frustrates me. It needs to have uh, it needs to be something. No, so, it like, needs
1: to have let's, a discussion. Let's figure what...
2: out which one it is. <laughs> And move on. (laughs)
1: Let's write him a letter. We need answers.
2: Like, is it the radio broadcast? Is it Romeo and Juliet? He's like, what are these? It's just a movie about Mulholland Drive.
1: If you think that's frustrating, uh, he also never actually talks to his actors or actresses about what the movie is either.
2: (laughs) Oh God, no.
1: So it's not like you can go to Naomi Watts or Kyle McLaughlin and be like, Hey man, I need some fucking answers. And like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, just like, they don't even know
2: what they're doing.
1: No. And apparently Naomi Watts used to just pretend like she's like, okay, I got this. I know exactly what it's all about. Hoping that maybe he would talk to her. (laughs) like a little more openly about it but she never really got it entirely like they all have their own interpretation um
2: that's so frustrating john oh yeah that's i don't know if i agree with that oh my god he's an artiste (sighs) did you like my radio theory
1: oh absolutely i think you're great
2: thanks i was really proud of that (laughs) i was proud that i came out of that with any theory
1: (laughs) i'm glad you enjoyed watching this um and I I'm putting enjoyed on at the some end of it marks,
2: I yeah. enjoyed it. During yeah. it I did not because I don't like watching movies like this normally and it makes me feel kind of dumb to say no. that because I like I get that it's supposed to like open your mind to thinking in like non-literal film. Linear. No literal.
1: Okay.
2: I mean literal. My mistake. Um it is also non-linear but also it doesn't it isn't literally displaying what it's telling. Yeah. I don't know. I like the balance of, like, dreamlike, but I want it to be grounded. I need, I need to be told at the end what, not, I don't need it wrapped up in a tiny little bow, but it needs to mean something, and I need to be able to connect with others who've seen the film on what it means. And like, It's fun to talk to people and be like, what did you think it meant, and what did you think it meant? Yeah. But if we can't all come to a conclusion that's similar, yeah. then it's just like we, we watched a bunch of imagery.
1: Oddly, uh, I find his movies more true to real life than actual movies. Like a blockbuster I
2: don't know what you're film. even talking now.
1: Well, here's the thing. Movies aren't real. Movies aren't reality or real life. They're heightened reality. Mm-hmm. It is a fake version of life that we all like to look at. But in real life, there is just this... There it's aren't, mundane. Yeah, it's mundane. It's very mundane, right? Um, it, there are no definitive answers. It's all about how you take it. Like, first of all, I don't necessarily know that the color purple I see is the same color purple you see, so I'll never know if what I'm looking at is the same thing that you're looking at. We all have our own interpretation. I see a blue dress. You hear Laurel. There is no certainty. There is just what we decide is a good base level to go off of. Like, we all decide that this means a dream, and we all decide that this piece of paper means money, but it's 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 all how we collectively look at something and interpret it for ourselves. Like, his movie's is fucked up as I don't they are. like
2: picking at the walls we build. <laughs> we spent a long time making these walls out of imaginary concrete, and I just... I just don't think that we should be tearing them down. We've got something good going right now. Yeah,
1: things things are okay. <laughs> things could always be better, but it could always be worse. Um, yeah, yeah, we're I, not
2: like just like burning people in the street because we're like you're a witch because <laughs> something weird happened to me yesterday and I couldn't explain it, and you have better hair than I do. <laughs> um,
1: the only way she can make better sweetbreads than me is if she's definitely in bed with the devil. <laughs>
2: Um, oh, also the devil is Ray. (laughs) Let's make some decisions. What is your rating on this movie?
1: I have a hard time not giving this movie a 4 out of 4. Just give
2: it a 4 out of 4. It's your birthday. Yeah, no, I know.
1: That's why I picked these movies, because goddammit, we'll watch what I want. Um, yeah, no, I'm giving this movie a 4 out of 4. Do I get it? No. I don't fucking understand it. Is it frustrating? Yeah, at times it is. But it is unlike you anything that I've You took sick pleasure
2: in how frustrated I was watching this movie.
1: Oh, absolutely. More than anything I wanted to watch these movies because I knew it was just something that you couldn't handle. Like, it's just <laughs> like, I'm gonna break Kim today. <laughs> it's a little birthday present to me. Um,
2: I'm going to go two out of four. Yeah, no, I get it. I love this movie, and I hate this movie. Sure. And two is the middle of the highway. Oh, but goddamn, <laughs> did
1: this not have, like, some of the scariest shit you've ever seen?
2: Yeah, super spooky, but also slow as balls. Yep. I do want to say that I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to you giving this, like, a courtesy one out of four.
1: I'm glad to hear that. I know these aren't your bags, so like I don't care. Like even if you had given it a zero to four, we're like, oh whatever. At least she watched it.
2: And the thing is, too, is like I don't mind Twin Peaks. I like when you watch Twin Peaks. Like, <laughs> I'm working on like the site or something, and I look up <laughs> and I watch a scene. I'm like, oh, that was a good scene. And then I keep working, <laughs> and then I catch another scene, and that's enough Twin Peaks for me. Like I had a uh, I had a mighty fine dose. Oh
3: man, <laughs> a damn
1: fine dose.
2: <laughs> a damn fine dose. Um,
1: yeah. All right, let's move on to Blue Velvet. Now it's dark.
2: Are you the one that found the year? One name that keeps coming up is this woman's singer.
3: Where are
1: I the first thing I need is to get into her apartment.
2: I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert.
0: Do you like the way I feel? Yeah.
3: Blue velvet through my
0: teeth. It's a strange world, isn't it?
1: Currently sitting at a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. One out of four from Roger Ebert, and 4.1 on Letterboxd. This has a higher Rotten Tomatoes rating than Mulholland Drive, uh, and a lower Ebert rating.
2: <laughs> the ratings are so weird. It's got to be because it's retrospective. Rotten Tomatoes existed yeah. after this movie existed, yeah. so those who are rating it are seeking it out.
1: Definitely. I think the Roger Ebert rating is the only one that you could look at as a timestamp. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read his full review, but the opening was like, oh, you know, a lot of people are praising this for its raw emotional energy. And the um these actors are willing to go to such crazy places. But he says that uh, the director, uh, because I guess at the time David Lynch wasn't really known, right? He says the director sort of stands in between the audience and the film, making slapsticky jokes and poking fun at the violence. Where? I don't. Necessarily nowhere.
2: <laughs> is that because the is so zany it's almost silly?
1: I think that's what he's getting at, yeah. Um, Probably Dennis Hopper. It's like, oh, in any other movie, this would be, like, a bad outtake.
2: I can see how you would see that. But I guess with the volume of the, like, David Lynch back catalog now...
1: Yeah, it fits perfectly in. Like, when you watch this after seeing the rest of his films, you go, oh, he's an auteur. Like, this was all a grand scheme. He's always been making this type of movie. Just at the time, Roger Ebert wasn't ready for it, I guess.
2: It yeah, like... so that was a lot of words you just put in my mouth.
1: But... <laughs> <laughs> my mistake.
2: <laughs> this, I will say, is a lot more literal. In Mulholland Drive. It uh-huh. doesn't have any weird, this-is-not-what-it-is curveballs, but it does have some really cool, kind of off-the-wall characters. Mm-hmm. But they exist in, like, a semi-noir mystery story, which I really appreciated because I was able to follow this as we got <laughs> Saturday drunk watching it.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is, this is kind of a proto-Twin Peaks. And I chose this movie mainly because I haven't really seen it. I don't necessarily know that it would pair perfectly well with Mulholland Drive.
2: I'm surprised you didn't pick Lost Highway.
1: Well, Mulholland
2: Drive, Lost Highway.
1: I didn't want you to watch Lost Highway again. Thank you. (laughs)
2: Although, the weird phone scene in Lost Highway would pair really well with the weird back alley diner scene in Mulholland Drive.
1: 100%. And honestly, I think just the characters and the stories and the duality of those people.
2: Well, too late.
1: Yep. <laughs> no, nope, it's too late. Honestly, that would be a better pairing. I think most people would do that, but fuck it, I don't give a shit. It's my birthday. <laughs> I'm glad we got to see this movie. I've never seen it. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I can, I can watching it. I go, oh, it's understandable that Twin Peaks was was soon after this. It's that idyllic nuclear family type small town mm-hmm. that has something dark and mysterious and evil just lurking underneath the surface perfectly highlighted in that opening sequence.
2: That was my favorite part of the whole film was just that little vignette at the beginning where it's this like perfect Pleasantville, uh, perfectly manicured lawns, the fire department's driving by and the firemen are just waving in slow motion. <laughs> there's perfect flowers growing out of the garden and they're right against a white fence and the sky is blue and there's a guy watering his lawn. And then, oh no, he has a heart attack, a stroke. He has something.
1: Does he trip and hit his head?
2: No, he has a heart attack or a stroke. I give no, you I two
1: saying. options. <laughs> I'm going for stroke. I'm going for heart attack, based on how the rest of the movie goes.
2: Uh, and then we pan into, like, deep under the grass in this really strange macro shot, and it's just, like... Teeming with bugs and yeah, insects. Yeah, and
1: they're just like eating each other and everything. And like,
2: you're like, all oh, right, this is a David Lynch film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle McLaughlin is returning home from school. His name is Jeffrey. He's going to see his dad, who's clearly injured, and you know somebody needs to take care of the hardware department now. But you know hardware shop. Oh, okay, fine. The hardware store. I'm sorry. <laughs> Owning a hardware store is the most small town thing that you can do in a idyllic, pleasantville small town. Or the barbershop. Or the barbershop. Which would you own?
2: Barbershop.
1: Yeah? i probably have a cafe. Taffy shop. Taffy? You can't throw a curveball like Taffy?
2: I want a Taffy shop. Let's go back to the
1: Taffy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kyle McLaughlin's coming back from the hospital, and he finds an ear. Which, of course, is news across the town. Uh In fact, when he meets Laura Dern, her first words to him are, Hey, are you the boy that found the ear?
2: Yeah, so he takes the ear to the chief of police. I
1: think he just goes to the department.
2: Or to um a police officer mm-hmm. who happens to be Laura Dern's dad. Yes? Yes. Laura Dern is Sandy?
1: Yes, her name is Sandy. Good work.
2: Thank you. And she basically kicks off this whole mystery by giving him the lowdown on what she knows or what's speculated about the origin of the ear
1: yeah so being the the sheriff's daughter she's kind of got her ear against the door in a lot of different
2: cases
1: (laughs) i didn't even think about that yeah she's got her own ear i should have emphasized that better against the door in a lot of cases she says that she gets a lot of details jumbled up but one name always sticks out and uh that's that's this dorothy woman who lives in the sketchy building on the wrong side of town She's not 100% sure what she has to do with it, but this is where she would start if you wanted to be your own detective slash pervert.
2: (laughs) So Jeffrey puts on his private eye hat and he drags Sandy out for a date, although it's not really a date because Sandy's got a boyfriend. So it's just a hangout, but we're going to a bar and I'm going to buy you a Heineken and we're going to listen to the mysterious Dorothy sing... Croon, actually. Right. Uh, Blue Velvet, which is the song that she sings.
1: What do you think of her rendition? Because we also open with, oh, what's his name? Bobby Darren,
2: I think, singing Blue Velvet? I did not enjoy her
1: rendition. <laughs> <laughs> I did.
2: Oh, it was... Um,
1: <laughs> breathy?
2: <laughs> it was not very sing-songy.
1: Can I ask you a question right now? Uh-huh. Based on everything else that happens in this movie, do you think she's being forced to sing? I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say I have this.
2: no idea. I don't think she's being forced to do anything. I think there was a period <laughs> where she was like, no, but maybe yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything to her is a no, but maybe yes.
1: That's very true.
2: She's an interesting woman.
1: She is... I, You know, it's hard to say whether I find her or Frank more interesting.
2: And if she sings for a career, she's not very good at it. It's a
1: small town. They do not have a lot of crooners, especially female crooners.
2: She's not a very good singer.
1: <laughs> this looks like the kind of town that you would have seen in a like an alternate scene. I
2: assume they're not in the small town. I assume they've left town to go see her crew. Well,
1: I oh, what is the name of the bar? It's the Slow Club. She sings at the Slow Club. Did I?
2: What was my joke? And I was just like, oh, we know David Lynch drinks here. <laughs> <But like> that. <laughs> said we were going to be here for at least 10 minutes (laughs) oh
1: guaranteed this is the proto bang bang bar uh i can't help but relate everything in this movie to twin peaks i mean it's a it's, it's a murder mystery essentially we've got an ear surely to god there's a body involved uh there's a mystery at the center of a town that on its surface looks perfect but when you dig deep oh god you're not gonna like what you see
2: maybe they're gonna find a man with scissors for hands
1: that'd be kind of sweet
2: this is a different movie
1: yeah it's definitely a different movie I think it's called Jeffrey <laughs> Edward Scissor,
2: Edward Scissor-ear.
1: <laughs> oh, we're not that funny. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey gets really wrapped up in this, like, right away.
2: He is consumed. I think it's Immediately. just bored, though, because he's come home from college, he's got to run this hardware shop, his dad is, eh, maybe dying... Mum's alone. <laughs> I don't even like,
1: think we have more than like eight seconds with his mom. He's like,
2: God damn it, Laura Dern's got a boyfriend. What am I going to do? She's the only girl in town. Because it takes him
1: all of 30 seconds to be like, you know what? I have a spare bug sprayer outfit, <laughs> and I'm going to pretend to be the bug man. What
2: do you call those people? Exterminator? The
1: Exterminator. And I'm going to break into her apartment. I'm going to jimmy a... W- well, not break in. I'm going to get invited in. I'm going to jimmy the window when you distract her, so that way I can break in later. Uh, thankfully, he well, he doesn't have enough time to jimmy that window, but he does find a set of keys just dangling. So it worked out. Yeah, it works out. She never realizes the keys are missing?
2: I don't take her as the type of woman to, like, do an inventory before she's going to get raped and pillaged by this creep that she's going to meet.
1: You got a good point. She's got bigger things going on. She's
2: got shit going on.
1: Yeah. Uh, my husband is kidnapped. Uh, my son is kidnapped. Uh, my husband might be missing a an ear. And currently at 10 p.m. tonight, I'm scheduled to be raped. <laughs> that is, that is a hard calendar to deal with.
2: You just skipped ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... <sighs> Jeffrey finds the keys... He comes. Well, actually, that's when they go on their date, right? Yep, yep. Then they're at the the boring bar, and <laughs> Isabella Rossellini sings Blue Velvet, and they're confirmed that she's there all night to croon. Yeah. And then they leave, and they go to break into her apartment. They should
1: have left a lot earlier. They should have left. He a lot stayed earlier. for two sets.
2: Yeah, they were there forever.
1: Yeah, they were. They, they were there forever, supplying I think two minors with Heinekens.
2: Yeah, and all that the all that did was wreck the escape plan because he's peeing too loud to hear her alarming him oh my
1: god I didn't even think that he had to pee because he drank so much beer he
2: said Heineken oh, while he right. was peeing <laughs> like <"Ugh>, Heineken <laughs> so yeah so she's trying to alert Jeffrey up in the apartment that uh, Isabella Rosalie is coming in
1: yeah she's gonna honk the horn four times
2: and he can't hear it because he's peeing so loud
1: fucking brilliant And I just say that immediately took that scene and made it a hundred percent tenser
2: she wasn't even gonna do that though. He's like, "You need to go," and she's like, "I'm gonna stay and wait just till they come." Like he had no plan. So uh, the fact that the plan didn't work out puts him back to where he was with no plan. Yeah, he's
1: <laughs> hiding in the closet while she's at home doing her thing. I guess he's just hoping that she'll go to sleep at some point and he can just sneak out. Yeah. Uh, but instead, she gets a very troubling phone call. She has ba- like a, a small emotional breakdown. A
2: little breakdown. Yeah. Little fit.
1: I, I I would think a A well-earned breakdown. (laughs) And then she hears him in the closet. She stabs him in the goddamn face, by the way. She
2: doesn't. She gives him a little threatening slicey poke.
1: Okay, so if somebody slicey pokes you, regardless of where, by the way, in the face, that's fucked up. Uh, That's where you
2: you, slicey poke somebody. And you you bleed a little? And yeah, you... that's what you do though when you threaten somebody. So you're like, "How much gonna... have you thought this out?" <laughs> well, is <just> a little. <laughs> so you're threatening somebody. You're like, "I'll oh, totally slay your throat. I'm not afraid to do it." And then you slice their pre- slicey poke slicey. their pretty face just a little bit. <laughs>
1: you know, okay. I just I just want to say, <laughs> slicey poke their pretty face is not that much better than slice their pretty face.
2: Slicey poke. Ugh. It is a gentler threat it's a th- it's a physical threat
1: oh my God but
2: it is it means like I mean business I don't care about your pretty face I slicey poked it
1: you sound like a dangerous hustler in the subways like in the subway tunnel I will of cut of your 1980s throat. New York yeah but
2: do you think somebody's gonna believe me if I'm like oh I'm gonna cut your throat I really will I'm totally not faking but then you you just like a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they'll believe you right quick
1: okay well i mean it does get him to spill the beans he says his name is jeffrey uh she gives him his wallet you know what's actually really good about that though is she is surprised that she stabbed him we rewatched that scene uh just before we were recording and when she like jabs him in the face she slicey pokes him in the face just a little bit uh she is also shocked by it
2: she's also had a bit of a crazy night though i think she wants to slicey poke a few people okay You know what I mean? So he's
1: just a stand-in.
2: No, I just think, like, tensions are high, and she's got a knife in her hand. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's this ripe melon in the room. (laughs) Like, somewhere to put the knife, maybe. Oh, man. (laughs) Um, Murder (laughs) aside. (laughs) Murder aside. She is really interesting, though, because he, so he lies and basically says he's there just to, like, pee tom her. Like, he saw he saw her when he was um, exterminating for bugs mm-hmm. and snuck in because he had to see her, and she basically makes him say that he was there to watch her undress, so she demands with her slicey pokey knife that he undress.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, like, turn the tables or... I don't know.
1: Do you think that's what she thought he was there for, and she just wanted him to say the truth, in quotations, or was she immediately slipping into this this fantasy?
2: Well, the first words out of her mouth are like, who sent you? So I don't know if she even knows the entire, like, underbelly of the situation she's in. Yeah. I think she's seen, because there's this other whole world that we're going to get into, but there's this guy, and he's got his cronies. Yeah. So, but I don't even think she knows the scope of that, really.
1: Maybe not. Like, you don't really ask a lot of questions with a guy like Frank. Yeah, and that's who comes knocking at the door right after she takes his starts to take his clothes off. Uh, luckily, she gets them back in the closet in just enough time before Frank comes in. Uh, and this is this is where we meet Dennis Hopper for the first time. Dennis Hopper is the most intimidating person on film, past or present. I don't. Well, okay. Well, only past at this point. Unfortunately, Dennis Hopper is not with us any longer. But uh, in I cannot. Assume that he wasn't that intimidating in real life. I don't know. I heard a story once.
2: Oh.
1: (laughs) And this is apparently something he used to do on the reg. After Easy Rider, he and Peter Fonda had gotten this reputation, they were making movies, yada yada, mostly producing or acting. He would come to negotiation tables or at least just in first discussions of films and put a gun on the table like what? A, a revolver see
2: that's a slicey poke <laughs> that is a slicey poke. <laughs> oh
1: god I, don't... I
2: i i will not use this gun but i brought it
1: <laughs> yeah well I, i'm what? sure it was i'm sure it wasn't loaded but i mean Dennis Hopper did have a pretty strong drug and alcohol problem for a while um hmm. in uh, case in point he plays a very erratic character in uh, in Apocalypse Now, and to be that erratic, cocaine-fueled character, he just did lots of cocaine <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> Which some people call method, other people call a problem.
2: <laughs> I wonder what his method for this uh, methane-huffing freak that he plays in this... You I think don't know he's huffing
3: methane? No. I of all
2: things! <laughs> we just watched a movie or a show about farting that's just, like, on my brain. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert! It was Kenny versus Benny. If you ever saw it, you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, what if that what if that tube attached to his face mask really just did farts? just lead to his butt?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really that's really weird. No, I think it's oxygen. To be honest, I think, I think it's so too. Something so simple. I think he's just trying to get like a little higher on life.
1: Yeah. You know what he I mean? Wants to like fully experience. Yeah. What's happening. He, he
2: always gets like really wide eyed, but he Ugh. he doesn't look like he's on drugs. He just looks like he's trying to absorb consciousness yeah he's, he's trying just to... trying to get as much of like the room as possible especially when he's like discovers isabella rosselli's tits in the full of people
1: <laughs> yeah what are, like, what are these
2: <laughs> and you're like you've seen them
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay isn't it kind of great that we never see a tank or anything like he doesn't carry around a tank of oxygen with him and you know there's no hip flask of oxygen <laughs> So.
2: He doesn't have a tank?
1: No, never. Ever, ever, ever. We just see him pull out the mask, put it on, and uh, start huffing.
2: What's it attached to? Nothing!
1: But it's just great filmmaking. Like, we just, we, we watch it.
2: He has to have a tank.
1: There's, okay. He walks, every room that he walks into, he's got nothing, but he always just pulls it out of, like, his waist pocket. It would actually be great to find out that that was the idea, that it was never actually attached to anything. And he was just, like, amping himself up.
2: Like he just needed like a physical excuse for what he's mentally doing. Maybe, I don't know. Uh so what he's into, he's got this weird like infantilism kind of, but yeah. so it's kind of weird though because he calls himself daddy a bunch, but he also calls himself baby, mm-hmm. and he's he definitely treats Dorothy Isabella Rossellini like a mom and he's got this weird sexual infatuation with blue velvet, which is also the robe that she wears as well as the song that she sings. Mm-hmm. And he puts it in his mouth. Like, he puts the tails of it in his mouth, and he puts the tail of the other end in her mouth. Yeah. And I don't think he gets naked at any point. Like, I think he just, like, humps her.
1: I think so, too. Through
2: his pantaloons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs>
2: through his oxygen tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's really weird, because he's he's almost clowny.
1: He has... Oh, you're saying that because he has some fetishes that are very specific specific in in a way. There's There's a bunch.
2: bunch. (laughs) Like like I said, it was infantilism, but it's a little bit, but it's not really. He's he's not like goo goo Gaga holding, like, sucking his thumb.
1: No, but he does say things like, baby want to fuck.
2: Yeah, but then he, Punches her in the face if she looks at him.
1: Yeah, there's... uh, I'm trying to remember if it was some podcast I was listening to with a psychologist, or if I'm just pulling this from David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, but something about the eyes of your mother being, like, the most piercing thing. And they can either be, like, the most joyous thing, like, I just want her to look at me, please just look at me. Like, the way the dog looks at you sometimes, like, Kim, please just turn around, turn around. And then her tail starts wagging when you look at her. Um, But also, like, if they're mad at you, it can just drill into your soul. And I think that's kind of maybe what's happening with him. Like, maybe he's got this weird torture relationship with his mother, which is why he doesn't want her to look at him. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily that, don't look at me, I'm ashamed of what I'm doing. Yeah. But just, like, your eyes are too much for me to handle in this moment. Mm. It's odd.
2: It is weird. But he
1: also has this other fetish. Um, and they, they all revolve, the two of them, I should say, revolve around songs. And one of them is the uh, the candy-colored clown, I think. And he puts he he like smears lipstick on like a like a clown. It's hard to say which one makes him more violent.
2: I think Blue Velvet is like a lullaby, and I think the I, other song. That's funny. I
1: almost think that the other one is a lullaby.
2: I don't know because that was like his like party gangbanger song. Like he made them put it on when he wanted to like beat the shit out of Jeffrey.
1: Agreed, but maybe he put it on because he didn't want to kill Jeffrey. Later on in the movie, at like at the end, we see some people that Frank has killed. And one of them is tied up with some, like a blue velvet robe stuffed in his mouth.
2: Hmm. It's
1: hard to say. I
2: straight. don't know. He's just crazy. He is nuts. Like, that's the thing is, like, crazy people don't have to be profound. Like, it could just be he's a fucking nut.
1: Yeah. Um, he's a fucking
2: nut with sexy hangups. Yeah. We find out that he's the one that has kidnapped Dorothy's husband and her small son. Yeah. And it is her husband's ear.
1: Definitely. His name's Don, by the way, and she keeps referring to Jeffrey as Don.
2: But why?
1: (laughs) Why? Well, I think to make her his sex slave.
2: Is that purely what it is? Or is, like, her husband, like, in the business, and he did something, and they've kidnapped him, and then he he just happens to have a wife that, what's his name, wants to, like, bone?
1: Um, this is one of the things I love about this movie, like, specifically regarding Frank's Hang ups, maybe not hang ups, Frank's fetishes, uh, is uh, Dorothy's fetishes as well, and the whole backstory involving the three of them. Like it's this weird.
2: Yeah, like they're triangle. all a little bit sadomasochistic. Like everybody absolutely. is sad- sadomasochistic. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Uh, but not, none of it's explained. Like, there's enough of it that you get an idea of what's happening and you get glimpses of it, but nothing is, is wrapped up in a neat little bow and you explain exactly what does what. And I, I think that's that's probably true for these characters. Like, they don't maybe know everything about what drives them, but they know what they want to do because of those uh, impulses. So
2: what you're saying is you don't know why Don and Don have been kidnapped? <laughs> I,
1: I don't know why, but I can only imagine that given, you know, Frank has this infantilism fetish um you think he, he could just saw pay
2: for it though he seems like the type of guy who has maybe a... he doesn't
1: want to pay for it maybe maybe forcing, so yeah, her, to, part forcing her to do it is is probably part of why he likes it
2: yeah
1: it could have also just been that yeah like I, I'm, I'm sure don probably knows frank in some way um and that's how he was introduced to dorothy and he saw her and don jr and wanted to be don jr So he'd, like, remove the two of them from the picture, and now it's like he gets to be both of them, maybe? Mm. I have no idea. Weird. Very weird.
2: But, yeah, so that first (laughs) night, uh...
1: I hope you guys have seen this movie!
2: (laughs) Frank, Frank gets his kicks, and then he leaves, and Jeffrey is let out of the closet, and Dorothy's in, like, a state. Like, she's been beat up and... Ogled, but in a weird way. Uh, <laughs>
1: we, we do see, though, that when he when he hits her, after she l- dares to look at him, she does enjoy it slightly.
2: Yeah, and she asks Jeff, like, they kind of embrace a bit, and they kind of continue where they left off, and they're, they're going to sleep together, maybe. I
1: think he's just trying um, to take care of her, but she doesn't want
2: that. She wants him to hit her, and, yeah. she, and he doesn't want to do that, and she wants him to do that, and then he just leaves, but... Jeffrey's in too deep. He's glimpsed the (laughs) underbelly, and so he keeps coming back to this mystery, and it keeps bringing him back to Dorothy's door.
1: As much as Jeffrey tries to have, like, a real relationship with Dorothy, it's not going to happen that way. Uh, He tells her all over and over, like, I want to help you. I don't want to hurt you.
2: Oh, and he starts sleeping with her, like, right away. Oh,
1: immediately. (laughs) This kid loves it.
2: (laughs) Uh, But Sandy has her boyfriend, so, like, I like you, Sandy. I'm like, I like hanging out with you, Sandy. I'm going to keep you in the loop on the mystery, Sandy. Yeah. Like, you had dump your boyfriend.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, hey, hey, they're they are not, I guess they're dating. I can't say they're not dating. They're definitely dating. But, I mean, you know, she's got her boyfriend, and he's got his girlfriend. No big deal. Whatever. Yeah, but
2: you know she's, like, it's totally not on the up and up when she's like, don't call me now. Or, like, don't call tomorrow. <laughs> or he comes to pick her up at school, and her boyfriend's, like, playing football, and she's like, drive,
3: drive!
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that definitely ends... All of it. She is no longer dating Mike after that moment because how dare she get into a car with another boy?
3: Well,
2: you don't do sneaky stuff like if. I suppose that's true. That was just some guy who she was helping with this mystery who found an ear in town, and like his dad had a stroke, and he's a neighbor boy or whatever. You wave to your boyfriend as you get in the car. You're not like go, go, go. (laughs) (laughs) Like she made it weird.
1: That's on you, Dorothy. Sandy? <laughs> Sandy. That's on you, Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Uh. <laughs> Can you imagine that in in the world of Greece, there is a similar story? Like there is there is a group of gang there's a gang, a violent gang that has kidnapped and raped somebody. And Craterface
2: has a switchblade.
1: Right? Craterface is the Frank in Greece.
2: Yeah, but he takes Rosetta to prom. Or not to prom, he takes her to the dance.
1: Isn't it prom?
2: No, it's just that, that, uh... Oh, it's like the American The band Jamboree stand. or whatever.
1: The J... <laughs> Don't say Jamboree.
0: <laughs> Please.
2: Yeah. He's a bully and he goes to the Jamboree. <laughs> I mean, he leaves with, uh... What's her name? That salsa queen.
1: Oh, shit. What's her name?
2: Something Gregorio. Gregorio. I
1: have no idea. You think that that... That couple was a weird couple? Like, their thing is to, like, break up and... Like a mutual, like just cuck get building. rid of like
2: the um like the the tweeteen sweethearts. are like we're gonna fuck like, shit <laughs> out then,
1: Yeah, like the real pleasure they get is from destroying a perfect I couple. I just think
2: it's interesting that Danny Zuko has this like other universe with these like fast women that we don't even yeah, address. Never. Like we don't he know why her. he knows oh, her. Oh boy, yeah, does he, he know her? And he like shame knows her. He was just like, oh dear, oh my. <laughs> that was different
1: summer, different beach. <laughs>
2: The nude beach. <laughs> okay, but what are we even?
1: I don't know. Um at some point in the movie, it's it's worth that like, He keeps he keeps going back to to Laura Dern and like his nights, his days are essentially spent with Sandy, uh, and his his nights are spent with Dorothy. And the like those are the two relationships that he's going for. He's got the perfect cheerleader co ed type and like the the seductive, like
2: unhinged femme fatale yeah exactly
1: (laughs) um a smoldering temptress i believe is the usual term
2: (laughs) (laughs) she's more like on fire temptress Temptress on fire. Well, that's
1: that's what's tempting about it. There's, there's danger to it. That's why he keeps coming back, right? He's getting this adrenaline rush out of being there because he knows he shouldn't. He's doing something wrong, even by his own code. Like, he even gets to a point where he starts hitting her. But Frank finds out. Uh, and Frank wants nothing to do with the neighbor boy.
2: So they go for a ride.
1: That joyride is... Terrifying.
2: There's so many people in that car.
1: That's, that's what's terrifying. There's only about two it, right? doors. <laughs> there's, yeah, it's a two-door How car. How do you get out of it? There's ten people inside. Eight of them are sitting on top of Jeffrey. If he wanted to, like, if they wanted to do anything, he wouldn't be able to move. I bet they're sitting on his hands. There's that many of them.
2: Yeah, cause there's like, there's Frank, and then there's Dorothy, mm-hmm. and there's Jeffrey, and then there's the whole gang of cronies, and then they have a go-go dancer.
1: <laughs> is she also in the car? She is in the car. I think they pick her up at Ben's, though. They go for a ride. They, they go to Ben's place. You know, in the car is also Br- yeah, Brad Dourif, uh, Jack Nance. Uh, they go to meet Dean Stockwell, who's playing Ben. He is kind of like the Candy Colored Clown. He's very. He's got a very pale face.
2: And he sings a song.
1: Into a treble light. Oh, that is so fucking good. He's just lip syncing a song. The Candy Colored Clown. The whole song. Which fucking Frank is in the back corner, just like shaking his head staring at him, lipping the words. And it's, like he doesn't even let him get to the end of the song. He's like, all right, we gotta go. We gotta go. It's
2: weird though, because you think they're going to go to a bar and it's like they end up in, it almost looks like a family doctor waiting room. There's a bunch of people just sitting around a room with a bunch of doors. It's weird.
1: I'm sure this is some sort of den of iniquity.
2: Oh. Yeah,
1: I think he is the, the house mom, basically. Uh, He punches Jeffrey in the gut, so we know he's not a nice guy. He's one of Frank's friends. It's just a
2: weird place. It's
1: a very weird place. But it's also where Dorothy's husband and son are being kept. And while he's, you know, crooning to, to Frank, they let her go see her kid and her husband. And we can hear her in behind that door. Freaking out. Like, it's like, a, oh, Don Jr., how are you? What are you doing? I love you. Blah, blah. Like, all the motherly things.
2: Mm-hmm. I assumed he was dead and she was talking to a corpse.
1: That'd be interesting.
2: That's what I thought was happening. I... <sighs> which I would have liked.
1: Oh, it would have been great. There... I would have liked a lot. There's actually a moan in this movie... I
2: wanted a scene of her talking to her dead son.
1: Oh, like, you actually want to see it. That'd be cool. The movie is... It ends on an optimistic note. Which seems strange. And misplaced.
2: no i don't know the robins we were we were prophesizing about the robins all along <laughs> we, The robins yeah. were coming
1: yeah um
2: the robins will eat the bugs
1: they sure will the robins represent love
2: <sighs> <Again. laughs>
1: i like that scene in ben's apartment though because we never see what's behind that door no and we hang on that door and it's it's scary the fact that we never see him behind it and, you know, that they, they drive off to, to Meadow Lane, where they beat the shit out of Jeffrey. Um, and he
2: gets a cool black eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his grandma and his ma are like, mm. I don't
1: want to talk about it. To be honest, though, I would have loved if that's where Jeffrey's involvement in that whole group ended. He had this weird, wild ride on the dark side of town, and he got glimpses of things that he never understood, and he he spent the rest of his life not necessarily trying to figure out what it was, but always wondering, like, how bad could it have gotten? Mm -hmm. Because for these people, like, that's not the end of their story. They, They continue to go on to have just, like, bleak, depressing, violent lives. But for him, he went off and, you know, had got white picket fences for himself and watered his lawn until he fell over and had a stroke. But instead, he goes to the detective, he goes to the sheriff... Sandy's dad basically spills the beans, says, this is everything that I know. This is my involvement. Your daughter had nothing to do with it. By the way, one of your detectives is in on it. He's an inside guy. We gotta figure out what's going on or bring Frank down. He's- and we
2: forgot that scene where he goes to the detective's office and one of the bad guys is sitting at a detective's desk and that was a really good reveal. That was good. You're just like, oh, he so looks familiar gosh. a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how you watch movies, Kim. <laughs>
2: that is how I watch movies.
1: John, what's happening? Uh, that's- <laughs> There you go that's that's the live commentary.
2: <laughs> that's what it's like. <laughs> I paid attention too. That's just my inobservance, my inability to observe How does he wind back up at
1: Dorothy's place? He's out. I remember what happens. He takes Sandy to a date to a dance
2: right? They go to a dance? Yes!
1: Yeah, they go to the big summer formal. They have a nice time, but on the way back, they're about to get run off the road. He thinks it's Frank. They're chasing him down, they're smashing the car, and then, big reveal, it's actually Mike and his buddies.
2: Uh, Lord Lordearn's boyfriend.
1: I fucking love that reveal. I, I liked was, it too. Yeah, that was genius. Um, And, uh, you know, saved by the bell, Dorothy comes stumbling out of the bushes. She's completely naked, and she's been beaten to a pulp.
2: She's in shock, and oh, she's yeah. just basically clinging to Jeffrey, and she's mm. spewing some interesting facts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like something about his seed. He put <laughs>
1: his disease in me. Oh, yeah. I can still feel him inside me.
2: Oh, Stuff she's, like that. And she's talking about Jeffrey in front of uh, the sheriff's wife and daughter, who Jeffrey's kind of maybe not, but maybe sort of dating.
1: Yeah. It's such a cool moment because it is that collision of those two worlds that never meet.
2: That's what I was going to say, and that's what I really wanted to see in the movie after we kind of got that, like, idyllic opening with the perfect neighborhood and these cookie-cutter lives, that um, you want the underbelly to infiltrate it at some point, and yeah. it really does when they drop Isabella Rossellini nude in, mm-hmm. like in the sheriff's front lawn.
1: Yeah. Goddamn, it's a good scene.
2: It's just, it just makes you uneasy.
1: Oh, very uneasy. Like, for Jeffrey and for her and for, for, for everybody. Well,
2: yeah, like, Jeff, like, Jeffrey's doing, the, like, his standard move of, like, trying to soothe her, but now he's doing it in front of basically, like, his girlfriend and potential mother-in-law, you yeah. know what I mean? And, the, like, we are the mother-in-law in that scene, and we're just like, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna go get you a jacket. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah his, his shame is now public. Um, He goes back to Dorothy's apartment because he's he's looking for Frank. Frank did this and he, he can't stand it anymore, basically. What he finds when he gets there, though, is Dorothy's husband, Don, tied up, his ears cut off. This is how we know it's Don. And uh, he's dead. And he's totally fucking dead. Along with the detective.
2: The bad cop.
1: The bad cop. Who uh, has been shot in the head also, but is not quite dead.
2: And he's in this weird final, what do you even call it? He's like uh, catatonic. Yeah. And he's still standing.
1: He's in like a vegetative state.
2: But standing. And he blinks and stuff. Yeah. And, he moves and part of his away. brain
1: is showing. Yeah. his blood dripping down his but face. But
2: he's standing still. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point I want to emphasize, <laughs> that he is still standing. And he's in this whole scene. So we're like, this movie is not really horror. It's, got, it's a little creepy. It's noir. It's weird. Yeah. And then you get to the final third act showdown, and there's a semi-dead alive guy in the whole scene just standing there.
1: It's pretty fucked up. I mean, up.
2: eventually he gets shot down and dies for real, but he's not dead. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the vegetative guy is what fucked me up in this movie.
3: Yeah. Because the
2: whole scene I'm watching that guy, I'm like, he's sw- seeing this entire thing go down, and he he's not bearing witness to it because he's dead now. Like, he's, like, brain dead, but, like, not real dead. Oh, man.
1: And, and then you're
2: like, what is dead even? And then, you, and then you're in, off in your own David Lynch so. <laughs>
1: Get the real David Lynch films up in here, guys. (laughs) You know, long story short, uh, Jeffrey hides in the closet and shoots Frank dead right before the the sheriff comes in with Laura Dern. Don't know why the sheriff let his daughter come with him to emergency. Yeah,
2: she comes in the room first. Yeah. mm.
1: I'm going to assume that he needed her to show him where her apartment was.
2: I don't know if she, if, whatever. Because
1: apparently she was under surveillance. Either that or she just ran out of the car. Uh, yeah, daughters will
2: do what they do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when they say lock up your daughters, they're not fucking around.
2: <laughs> they're gonna go solve murder mysteries and <laughs> have two boyfriends, <laughs> dreams about robins, willy nilly.
1: Oh god, it's, it's a mess out there. What do you think about the robins? Eh. Yeah. Yeah?
2: Yeah. Every just... movie needs a theme. This one's Bugs and Robins.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the movie, uh, Jeffrey is in the backyard with Sandy and her family. And, you know, everything's cool. We, in fact, we even get a few moments of of Dorothy with her son now playing in the park.
2: Wearing a weird-ass hat that she was coveting.
1: Yeah, like, what's a
2: kid's hat. It's
1: got a little bow. It's kind
2: of like a clown hat.
1: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You
1: have just blown this case wide <laughs>
2: open.
1: What are you talking Donners about? Daughters will do. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the final shot of the movie, it it's it's a Robin eating one of those bugs because love's gonna conquer in the end,
2: guys.
1: I wonder if that's the ending he always wanted. And you know, maybe at the time that's that's the kind of movie he was making. I don't think that's the kind of thing we would. Yeah, see
2: but now. It, it is kind of a noir film, so like You're they right. all kind of end like that. Like, and then the dawn comes another day. I'm
1: sorry, Kim. We just watched Chinatown. Did we? Do you not remember how Chinatown ends? I don't remember. That Chinatown is one of the most bleak noirs ever.
2: I don't remember. The either. bad,
1: every bad guy wins, and like they win in a big way.
2: We're not talking about Chinatown.
1: No, we're not. But you're right; it does seem to fit for the movie. Is, is, I guess I just didn't want it. That's all.
2: Yeah, I kind of wanted her son to be dead, but <laughs> I just—I guess we were really, really mean to Isabella Rossellini's character. So, like, maybe like crying over a dead. 8 year old is a little too far. Yeah. But I mean cuz uh, how's
1: her how's her life going to improve after that?
2: Oh, it's not. <laughs> do you have any idea what the blue velvet represents? Do you have any idea what do you have any theories oh. on that? Cuz I don't. I liked your umbilical cord theory, but then it grossed me out too much, I had to stop thinking about it.
1: Yeah. Um I don't know if that's necessarily like a blue velvet thing, but I I think that's the what, robe thing yeah I, I can't help but not see it like that and that's maybe just based on how the rest of that scene plays out who knows
2: i don't know
1: blue velvet might just be fetuses
2: normally don't hump their mothers
1: they are inside them for a long period of time though
2: yeah. is that where that comes from I'm gonna shut this down.
1: <laughs> Alright, guys, so, uh, three out of four from me.
2: I said two out of four from me. Yep,
1: that's, that's the, all, all the thoughts we have on this movie and those characters.
2: Okay.
1: Leaving it at that.
2: Uh, if you saw these films or any of David Lynch's other weird feature length things, uh, tweeted us at NOFS Podcast and let us know what you thought, particularly Blue Velvet and, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. I forgot the other title.
1: Of course, if you're open to talking about other David Lynch properties, you can
2: tweet at John.
1: Just Exclusively. Me, though. Yep. Just me. Though. <laughs> just
2: John. At John on a string. And that's J O N without the H. He is Garfield's John, not any of the other Johns on the planet. Oh, yeah. Garfield's John doesn't have an H. Doesn't have an
1: H. Best John. Second best John. Best John. Best John. <laughs> yeah
0: sorry john <laughs> <laughs> we are controlling transmission Have a trouble with
2: a d- this week's episode of nightmare on film street is brought to you by deadly grounds coffee to die for made from 100 percent arabica beans deadly grounds is horror themed gourmet coffee without any fancy names or titles this week's blend is dot's diner A mixture of beans from Ethiopia and Honduras, Dot's Diner is a light and fruity blonde roast and makes a damn fine cup of coffee. Head over to getdeadly.ca to pick up your brew and use the promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's code NIGHTMARE at getdeadly.ca. Uh, and while you are here, if you can take a quick second to rate and review the podcast, please give us a five star. It really helps us get the show in front of more fiends and climb the iTunes charts, Spotify charts, whatever charts we're on.
1: We're going to stick around for a few more minutes uh, and play a little game that I put together. I'm calling it that movie you watch is the one to come back inside. That's right. I put together, uh, it's, it's that time again, folks. Your favorite movie is coming back in style.
2: Kim. Was that Words?
1: Yes. Uh, that is, uh, me attempting to recreate the Red Room talk from Twin Peaks. Uh, it's really fucking complicated because what all of those actors did, including their physical performances, is record everything backwards and then play it forwards. They had to learn all of their lines backwards. And I got really good at it. Hopefully I will, too, because what I'm going to do to make this easy on you, I've got a list of your favorite movies. I'm narrowing it down. So it's going to be nice and easy for you to figure out. Yay! Other than the fact that it's going to be said in the weird, backwardsy Red Room talk. Oh, God. Yep. So you're going to have to try and guess what your favorite movies are based on this nonsensical premise.
2: Thanks, David Lynch.
1: <laughs> if you want to hear that and all of the other bonus content that we have for each episode, head over to Patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street.
2: But that's it from us this week. Happy birthday, John. oh
0: thank you very much, Kim.
2: Uh, I'm Kim. I'm John. <laughs> Stay, Stay creepy. creepy.
0: It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ah! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.